Good evening, everyone. It's Necro Thursday. That means it's time for the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast. How's it going, Mike? It is going well. What's up, everybody? As Mike said, you're listening to Necromaniacs Podcast, coming at you every single Thursday. Uh, It is the beginning of April as we're recording this. Uh, Spring is officially here. Uh, Pretty pretty nice weekend in New York City. How was your Jersey weekend, Mike? Well, I've been kind of in and out of Jersey, uh, going between Jersey and my parents' house in uh, in Westchester, uh, Putnam Mm -hmm. County area, the Hudson Valley, let's say. In New, yeah. York, New York State, so yeah, the weather's been beautiful. Today was a great day. Uh, it's spring, and um, what I do every spring is I break out Neurosis Times of Grace, and I run that album. And it's just such Ooh. a that's always been such a spring record for me. I think because it came out, I think in May. So uh, okay, it's always been like part of my spring ritual. I guess is uh, listening to that record and enjoying the weather and that kind of thing. That's cool. Yeah, I. Uh... Every week, um, it's that record label on the West Coast that uh, Wolves in the Throne Room is on. Oh, Southern Lord. Southern Lord, Southern yeah. Lord sends, out, uh, sends out an email every week. If you've ever you know, bought something on Bandcamp from them or ordered from them or whatever, and they do these Bandcamp Friday deals, ah. and everything is like, they'll pick like four random releases, and they'll all be like a dollar on Bandcamp. Wow. And, okay. Um, but this week in particular, this past Friday in particular, they had uh, a Wolves in the Throne Room record that was celebrating its anniversary, and that was only a buck. And it, it reminded me that like Wolves in the Throne Room kind of remind me of spring music. Uh, this one was Black Cascade. They oh, actually yeah. uh, put out for only a buck, which is a fucking great record. Um, I, I'm a Wolves in the Throne Room fan. I, uh, you know, been listening to them since I, I literally, I, I believe, the very first record. 20 years ago plus whenever that came you know that came out but yeah they, they kind of remind me of spring a little bit uh but also on the music front i i discovered a band from canada called home front have you heard them no uh i have not heard of them they are i mean they sound like something from like 1980 like post-punk you know oh, okay like really really cool interesting stuff going on they have like two releases out and uh, a friend of mine told me about them and said mike you're gonna like this band a lot and that friend was correct uh so i immediately bought uh both of their releases one is called games of power and the other is called think of the lie on Bandcamp for you know six seven bucks a piece or whatever home front and then huh? i saw that uh sorry state records is putting you know put out their the vinyl and i grabbed those it's really cool that like well you know look i'm gonna be 50 and i I know a lot of people my age do not digest new music in the way that i digest new music whereas i'm extremely open to it and if i like it i i am like i buy it like i'm just you know one of those you know supporters um but this was a band it was like okay my friend was right and I immediately fucking grabbed it, you know. Uh, yeah, Homefront from uh, from Canada. Um, I mean, some of it sounds like The Cure. Some of it sounds like, you know, Gang of Four. Some of it is, you know, it's just, it sounds like very late 70s, early 80s, and it was recorded now, you know, hmm. like one of those kind of things. I think you would dig it. I yeah, I'm going to check it out. When we wrap this up, I'm going to definitely check that out for sure. Yeah, I think uh, some listeners would, would dig it as well. And that's kind of, yeah, spring-type music for me, too. Uh, a lot of that sound, I don't know why, it, it kind of hits with the spring for me. I don't know. I think I'm ready for spring, man, you know? Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to like for a change. You know, the winter, everything's been so bleak and brutal in the last like few months. It's just, yeah. you know, I'm ready for, for something good to happen, for a change. I hear you, man. I hear you. Um a lot of fucking shows coming up if you know if you're a fan of heavy music i mean jesus everybody's on tour uh we're going i'm going to see our friends in black anvil on wednesday mike with enslaved and right. uh yeah that's playing new york city uh me and Stella are going to check that out and then i think the week after the the morbid angel tour hits new york and then uh in early may the obituary malaysian tour and then there's uh Friend of Lift and Dead Congregation are playing in the middle of April at Vitus. I'm going to go to that. And 
there's just so much happening, man. If you like, you know, death metal, black metal, and heavy music. Well, there's also the big Emperor show too coming up in the yes, theaters in the this spring. summer. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Goat Horn, uh, Goat Horn, I hate God. Goat Horn, I hate God coming through town. Oh yeah, they're that's right. They're on the road. Um, Sisters of Mercy are coming. <laughs> I mean, my poor bank account, Michael. My poor bank account. Yeah, I, I last few weeks I've been kind of preoccupied with family stuff, so I, I need to like figure out which of these shows I'm going to. I think um, the Dead Congregation thing might might be pretty much sold out at this point, though. Unfortunately, I think they have minimal tickets left. It's like a Wednesday show, but you know, uh, Stella and I are definitely going. Yeah. I got the tickets a few weeks ago. And there's yet another show with Vitus in May. Spectral Wound is playing, I think, Memorial Day weekend. Oh, cool. That That band's great. No shortage. Yeah. We we played with Spectral Wound in Providence a few years ago. They're they're a great band, nice guys. I really like them a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, looking forward to seeing if they're going to do any new music or another new record. But that last record from a year or so ago is, is fucking fantastic. Um, and then, like on the uh, on the viewing front, I uh, caught up on my South Park, Mike. South uh, Park, South okay. Park is uh, yes. This season has been fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, they're doing really short seasons, though. They're like six episodes, which is kind of a kind of a bummer, uh, as opposed to their much lengthier runs uh, of yesterday. Um, you know. Uh, it's always very timely, and it, it's it's just really, really funny. And if you've punched out of South Park years ago, I think you should punch back in and just, you know, jump in on the new season. It's really funny and really good. I checked out uh, – uh, these are these are kind of horror-adjacent, I guess. The uh, mm-hmm. Netflix Waco series, the three-part series on Netflix. Oh, yeah. That's on my to-watch pile, my mental to-watch pile. I really want to see that. It's a good one. It's it's uh, there's like serious. It's it's heavy, man. There's like some heavy shit in there for sure. Mm. I watched. Does uh, it like really uh, tell you shit that you didn't know? Um, there's footage that's never been seen before in there. I mean, I knew the story. You know, I knew the Timothy McVeigh connection. Like, I knew about everything, but it gets more into the officers that were involved in in the whole operation, and um, you know, they talked to some of the other cult members and that sort of thing. There's a lot of footage, a lot of like footage from the that time the siege you know mm. and uh it's really intense man you know you know when that happened i was 19 20 you know yeah and i wasn't i don't know i think i was very caught up in my band at the time confusion plug right. plug <laughs> um and i was you know being a young kid being a young person and i was into hanging out and drinking beer and hanging out with my girlfriend and partying and going to junior college. I, I didn't think too much about that when that hit, you know, was, was that something you were extremely conscious of oh, back yeah. then? Yeah, that was, that, I was like in my early twenties. So that was like the high point of me being into all that, like apocalypse, mm. cu- apocalypse culture stuff. And, and, um, you know, reading about Manson and, and, uh, serial killers and Waco and, you know, that whole anti-government conspiracy thing was like huge back then. You know, back then it was like fun. Now it's like a you know doomsday, uh, you know, mainstream government thing, conspiracy theories. You know, um, but back then it was like you felt like it was interesting. You know, to to hear about all these things and these crazy stuff that happens like in Texas with anti-government stuff. And you know, at the time you can actually you could have been like critical of the ATF with the way they handled the whole situation too. You know. Mm-hmm. But also realizing what a scumbag this guy was for like having sex with kids and all this creepiness of his uh, you know religion and then the insanity of him thinking that he's Jesus Christ and what's that's even even that's like a fucking legend too you know like yeah whole... no I mean I definitely know a lot more now than I did then and I definitely want to watch that and I'm I'm going to watch that yeah um. Something else I watched, uh, more kind of mystery stuff. Uh, Stella and I watched the OG Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, Did you ever nice. see the original from oh. the 70s? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a classic, man. Oh, man. It's so good. Like, And it's so stacked with, like, in my opinion, very, you know, stars, so to speak, you know, and like 
these very like 70s kind of icons, you know, like Michael York is in there. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just really cool to watch a movie that's so old that just completely holds my attention. Like it's 50 fucking years old. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it's, it's an amazing movie. Um, and what's funny is that, you know, I saw the remake from a few years ago, like right. in the theater, mm-hmm. which was pretty good. Actually, uh, I enjoyed it, but I didn't remember and I won't give it away, even though, it, I, you know, it's not that big a deal to give it away, but I'm not going to give it away. I didn't remember who the killer was, but like we're watching it and Stella's like, well, I, I know who the killer is. And then <laughs> maybe about 20 minutes 20 25 minutes left in the movie i go oh wait a minute and then like she's like yep that's that's it you know and i'm like oh fuck i'm like that's really cool though like how how it it all kind of ties together but again listeners even though it's an old movie and it has been remade i did not reveal the killer (laughs) i I should not now i want to see it again that was a good one yeah uh speaking of star-studded casts i saw fear city the uh, abel ferrara film from the 80s Oh wow! See, that's that's another one that's eluded me from the Abel Ferrara canon, man. I I gotta see that movie. Star studded, man. It's got Tom Tom Berenger, uh, Melanie Griffith, mm-hmm. and Jack Scalia are in it, as well as some other Jack people. Jack Scalia. Yeah. I haven't heard that name in a long time. <laughs> Everyone's like <laughs> really young, you know. It came out in the eighties. Abel Ferrara was kind of like uh, not quite, you know, the man you think he, you know, he turned into. He was breaking into doing, you know, cool stuff, and um. Yeah, just like a grimy New York, very much strains of 10 to midnight in that movie. Ah, okay. You know what I mean? It's like there's a little bit of a similarity plot-wise to the film, uh, but but this is just grimier than than the um, than 10 to midnight. It was just, just dirtier. It's like New York City. It's, it's just uh, Abel Ferrara, you know, just sleaze, naked women dancing on poles. Yeah. Where's that streaming? Um, I, I actually bought it. I bought the um, the European Blu-ray of that, and um, it's it's, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of money. The U.S. one's expensive, but the 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 British one is like uh, I can get like twenty four dollars or something like that. Oh, very cool! Beer City, wow, man! That even that title it reminds me of, of video stores. Yeah, hell yeah! But you can you can rent it though on Amazon for like cheap, you know, because no one. It's the funny thing is. You could, I think it's like a dollar. You can rent it, but if you wanted to buy a Blu-ray of this, it's like four hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah. See, uh, the OG uh, Orient Express is another one of those odd ones where it's for free on a bunch of platforms. But if you don't want to watch all those fucking commercials, it's like a buck or a buck ninety-nine kind of on Amazon, like one of those deals. Um, you know, it's not on any of the marquee streaming services but uh yeah it, it, it's out there you know just one real quick thing is i don't know if you knew this or not but terror in the aisles is on blu-ray now okay i have terror in the aisles as a bonus on dude on one of my halloween blu-rays really it's a bonus film i think it's either how i think it's halloween too dude well i uh, i'm gonna have to look and see because it's gonna drive me nuts but I do have a version of that somewhere, but it's nice to know that it's now standalone as well. Yeah, because I got a couple of years ago, I tried to look for it and it was still out of print. And uh, recently, I was watching one of these uh, horror YouTube channels that I follow, and they mentioned that it was now on Blu ray. And it was, oh, awesome. it's relatively, it's like $20 too. It's not like a super expensive either. Um, I have to tell the listeners something. Okay. In the, the the original Fly, you know, the Vincent Price OG Fly, that scene with the, the, the dude's head and the spider, the spider's web, I can't watch that scene. Yeah, it's disturbing. It's I, I can see that. And when I, because I saw that for the first time and when I watched Terror in the Isles as a child, and I think it mentally murdered me to quote Napalm Death. I'm not even kidding. I saw that scene completely unprepared at like 11 or 10 or something, right? And I never forgot it. And anytime that scene comes on, I turn into, I don't know, a five-year-old girl. I don't know. Like, I just, I can't. I can't do it, Mike. Isn't that hilarious? 
No, nah, man, you know, that stuff from our early childhood st- stays with you, you know, in a weird way, man, you know, and, um, yeah, it's, it makes sense that, it, you know, it still bothers you, you know. <laughs> I'm laughing about it because I have to laugh about it, but the scene in The Fly just fucks me up, and it brings me back to childhood when I was dipping my toes in horror, and I was watching Terror in the Isles, and I went, Okay, uh, gotta go. <laughs> well, you know, this the movie we're talking about tonight beckons back to my childhood too, you know. But uh, mm, before we move on does. to that, I just we got two more action items here. First, uh, I want to let everyone know about the uh, the, the voicemail system we have. We have 908, mm-hmm. the call in number is 908 913 0782. And we got another voicemail from Mike M from Telford, Pennsylvania. Just checking mm-hmm. in calling in on his lunch break, telling us that we're doing a good job. You know, he does not want to have his uh, voicemail played on the air, which I respect. Yeah, okay. Totally Which cool. is fine. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, he's uh, a lot of kind words, man. I appreciate that. He also recommended us doing some stuff in the future and that we are going to be doing. There's some stuff that... Yes, we are. Yeah, like, you know, for example, uh, you know, Death Dream was something that we, you know, we, we've been talking about doing that for a while. That's going to come around. The, the films of Jim Van Beber, like we've covered some of his stuff, but mm-hmm. that stuff's out there. But he's a good listener, you know, really, really cool, supportive guy. I just want to shout out Mike M. from Telford, PA. And one more time, Mike, let's give out that phone number. Phone number is 908-913-0782. And if uh, you can leave a voicemail, um, you know, if you want to have it played on the on the show, if you don't want to have it played on the show, say I don't want to have it played on the show because otherwise mm. we're just going to go ahead post it on this thing and Mike and I will discuss it, you know, whatever you want. We're not looking fishing for compliments. If you don't like something, no. let us know. You know, we, we really just want to get interaction going. And uh, if there is some suggestions that you guys want, uh, you know, for us to cover, uh, we'll consider it. Especially if you leave a voicemail, we'll consider it. If it's something that we're interested in and we're, you know, not nothing like too far out that we're probably not interested in, you know, but we right, reserve, right, we reserve right. veto, veto um, status so we can say no, but we will highly consider anything left in the voicemail as future episode coverage. Exactly. We're final script approval. Here yeah. The Next podcast. Um, but folks, we are a part of a, of a wonderful group of fellas, as they say, uh, known as the horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse. Right, Michael? That is correct. And aside from this wonderful show that you're listening to right now, that has been on the air for nine years and counting listeners, Necromaniacs podcast, we have a bunch of wonderful friends that we feel you should check out too. Right, Mike? And on Monday, who should they be checking out on Monday? Of course, that's Brandon Legion's Horror Wolf 666. And his show, as you can guess by the name, is uh, focused on horror. And he he is an interview um, podcast. Yes. Old, new, up-and-comers, old-school people, even uh, some peripheral people like my buddy uh, Paul Aloisio from uh, Restless Spirit, who's a journalist. He's a horror movie mm-hmm. journalist. He had him on as a guest. And, of course, we all... On it, we're all all over each other's shows too. So That's right. I, I was on it uh, not too long ago during the winter. I had a lovely, lovely time. Uh, coming at you on Tuesday, the finest metal podcast in the land, into the necrosphere. Uh, had a lovely time listening to the uh, cloak interview, Mike, on last week's episode. Yeah, yeah, those guys are cool, man. We toured with them last year for a short run of dates. Nice guys, I, really sick yeah. band too. Sick band. I really sure. want to see them live, so I'm hoping they they come back to New York. Uh, I've been kind of listening to them for a bit. Um, I know that they they've played Brooklyn and New York a, a few times, and I've I've never been able to catch them. And you know, I will finally catch them next time they come back. Uh, but yeah. Into the Necrosphere rules. If you like death metal, thrash metal, heavy metal, black metal, you should be listening to Into the Necrosphere. Uh, coming at you on Wednesday, we have none other than the podcast that started it all, Mike Hill's own Everything Went Black. Right, Mike? That's right. And um, definitely taking a lot of license with the format of that show over the last couple of years. So you can find a lot of different things on there. It's not just 
it's actually 50-50 music and other stuff, really. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of stuff that's discussed on that show. Yeah, sometimes even, you know, film stuff and, yeah. you know, it, different different mixed bag every time on the old Everything Went Black. Uh, at Thursdays, you're listening to it right now, Necromaniacs Podcast. Uh, it could be Mike and I. It could be Mike and Jeff. You never know what you're going to get each week, so you have to listen each week. Uh, on Fridays, what do we got, Mike We got Break the Apocalypse, which is brought brought to you all by Mike's brother, John Draper. That's right. Uh, you know, sometimes they'll talk about some wrestling. Uh, it's usually about politics of the day or social issues of the day. Uh, you will laugh. You'll get a kick out of it. You'll enjoy it. Make sure you definitely check out Break the Apocalypse. On Saturday, spring is here. Go to the park. Go for a walk. Get some iced coffee, right? Have oh, a yeah. lunch. That time of you year. know, do something like that. Go see a show, you know. Uh, but on Sunday, make sure you return for none other than the Soul Knox podcast. Yeah, me and Carl are doing a collaboration right now. We're just kicked it off on his show, and it's um, mm -hmm. it's, gonna, it's called Darkness Weaves, and it's a uh, mm -hmm. exploration of the work of Carl Edward Wagner, who is a nice, unfortunately obscure weird fiction and dark fantasy writer, but we're Carl and I are hoping to uh, to shed some light on this uh, this gem out there. Oh, very cool, very cool. Um, speaking of writers, I, uh, I'm, I'm about to start the new Mary San Giovanni book. Uh, she has uh, a book from the Alien franchise, Mike. Yes, pretty yes, sweet. yes, yes. I yes. heard about that. Um, I heard about it. Alien Enemy of My Enemy. Um, I'm going to start that... When I am done with my Dario Argento's Fear, his autobiography, I am enjoying the hell out of the Dario autobiography, Mike. It's, you, you learn a lot about him that you probably did not know. And, you know, it's like since it's, he wrote this book and it's, you know, it's translated into English, like I'm listening to it. With with an with an Italian accent in my head speaking English, so it's kind of cool. Like honestly, that's how I'm really listening to this book. Like you know, as, as I'm reading it, like it's taking me on a little bit of a journey. You know, growing up uh, in Italy, but uh, yeah, he, he grew up very interesting family. His family was like in the industry, and his mom is a famous photographer, and just really you know interesting pre directorial life. Um, he was a movie reviewer for a while before. He was a director, um, but yeah, goes into all that kind of stuff, and you know, it's I I'm really enjoying it. I'll I'll kind of be bummed when it's over. That sounds interesting. I should check that out as well for sure. Yeah, it's called Fear. Uh, it's it's out there in hardcover. Um, I I mean I paid thirty for it. I've seen it for more than that in some places. Um, Severin Films is selling it. I, that's where I got my oh, copy. So okay. hopefully they still have it. Uh, this was a couple weeks back. Uh, my buddy Mark Yoshitomi alerted me that they were selling copies of it because um, I think it's a bit more on Amazon now. But uh, readers, you know, the Dario fans, if you haven't read it already, I completely, uh, you know, back the book if you know if you want to check it out. Right on, man. So let's mm. go on to uh, tonight's movie. And of course, uh, we hinted at this earlier. It's uh, a film called Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things. Uh, I got to tell you, Mike, you know, this is a movie that we sold at the Brooklyn Monster Factory. Uh, I remember the the DVD cover from the from the aughts uh, when this was available on DVD. But I will say, listeners, full disclosure uh, my watch for this episode of the podcast was my first time seeing this really? movie. Really? Wow. Yes, it was. I feel bad about that, but it is the truth. Um, but yeah, a lot to say about this movie, a lot to say about its director, Bob Clark, who uh, honestly, Mike, I mean, one of the most interesting directorial careers I I've ever seen on paper and, you know, uh, sadly, listeners, uh, he, he lost his life on April 4th, 2007, when him and his son, uh, Ariel Clark, who was only 22 at the time, were uh, driving on the Pacific Coast Highway in Los Angeles. 
and were killed by a uh, drunk driver. Oh, terrible, terrible, man. terrible ending to his life. Yeah. Wow. Um, and uh, quick of note is at the time he was working on the remake of well was about to start work on the remake of Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things directed by him. So, uh, what could have been, huh? That's insane, man. I didn't know that that, he, that was something he was um, working on or, or in pre-production. Yeah. Right? That's crazy. Yeah. I, I kind of honestly, like, I even remember, you know, like, again, before his death, like, reading about maybe, like, a Morgue or a Fangoria, like, that somebody, you know, because that was, 07 was amidst the time of a bunch of the remakes, Mike, you know, so it right. almost kind of makes sense that I might have heard about it in maybe 05 or 06 when... Uh, you know, listeners, as you can remember, if you were around back then, everything was literally being remade at that point. Um, then there was an attempt in 2010, uh, Gravesend Film Enterprises confirmed that a remake would happen, but uh, it never came to pass. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get into if that was a good idea or not. But, you know, on his career, uh, many may know that he is the director of what I consider to be one of the greatest horror films of all time. Black Christmas. Uh, many may know that he is the director of what many consider to be one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time, A Christmas Story. Uh, some may not know that he's responsible for the Porky's franchise, Mike Hill. How about that? Yeah, he's been kind of uh, all over the map. He's not specifically a horror director, you know. But one, one, no. one film I'd like to add to the horror list, though, is a film, Death Dream, which is yes, very intense movie. Um, it's a riff on the whole monkey's paw thing. It's like a anti-war, mm -hmm. like Vietnam, Vietnam era film. Uh, very powerful movie, man. And and I I um I I think we have not talked about it yet, but we definitely should cover that movie. It's great. Yeah, uh, Death Dream is sandwiched in between Children's Shouldn't Play with Dead Things and Black Christmas. So yeah, uh, and then also around that time period is uh, Deranged, which is a fantastic movie. He was the executive producer on that, but his you know. He had a hand in that movie. Uh, he also did uh, Turk 182 for you uh, oh, mid 80s man out there. Uh, he directed the 1991 cult hit Popcorn, which is a pretty cool movie, actually, itself. Um, actually, no, he's the executive producer on uh, Popcorn. Sorry, not director. Um, then, uh, in the strangest turn of all, he is responsible for the Baby Geniuses franchise uh, of the <laughs> late 90s. Thoughts. Uh, he directed <laughs> Baby Genius and Baby Genius 2, which made money. So uh, unbelievable. And again, right before his death, uh, he was an executive producer on the 06 Black Christmas. Again, ridiculous career, huh, Mike? Oh, yeah, man. It, it's a very prolific uh, output this guy has for sure. To have a hand in what a lot of people think is the birth of, of the slasher, uh, he's there at the birth of the teen sex comedy. It's it's very interesting. It's like wow. Like I I think if I don't think this exists, but I would love uh, to see a, a movie about this guy. You know, uh, documentary or, or something. I mean, you know, I, I I don't think that exists, but I almost feel like just because of all the things he touched alone, it's just kind of so fascinating as a film nerd. You know. Yeah, no doubt, man. And you know, actually, this uh, this movie was written co-written with Alan Ormsby, the uh, the star of the film. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a buddy of uh, you know, Bob Clark's, who also had his hand in the Porky's franchise, Ormsby. Yep. Uh, yeah, and and Popcorn. He he directed Popcorn, Ormsby, actually. Um. So yeah, you know, li lifelong friend of of Clark's. Um. Also had his hand in Death Dream. I mean, you know, that that's his, uh, his filmmaking buddy, Mike. Well, so this came out in 1972 and is mm -hmm. 87 minutes long. So it's like a, you know, a, a very lean and mean film. Yeah, budget of only 50 grand. Uh, I could not find any box office information on this movie. I imagine it was rather small, though. What do you think? Probably. I mean, this this movie probably really hit its stride like a decade later in home video, mm. I imagine. In home video, yeah, you know? yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, I remember the box as a kid uh, at the video store. You know, it's funny, the sentence, I remember the box, 
literally like almost means nothing to a whole generation of our fans. Like saying I remember the box squarely puts you in a certain time and place, Mike. You know what I'm saying? I a hundred I, I think about that all the time, man. How that's yeah. uh just almost irrelevant these days to people. <laughs> Like that, that experience well, is not is nothing that anyone can relate to in, the, in a younger generation. If, if we have any listeners in their twenties, okay, uh, saying something like "I remember the box" means you remember the box cover at the video store, uh, and yeah, this was it had like a really odd box, like it, it matched like the movie poster. You kind of didn't know what it was. It, it, this movie is uh, definitely uh, an early. Uh, horror comedy um and that to me works you know i mean i can be very critical of the horror comedy and i know you can too mike uh but this is like an example of a real early one that i i think definitely hits the marks and keeps you interested and then of course at the very end of the film there's there's no comedy to be found whatsoever and, and goes you know into the pits of hell but we'll get to that too well and that and that's really what makes it even more intense man i mean i saw this movie when i was a kid on television okay so that probably is another way that somehow they make money is these um i'm sure it was a edited version that was showing on like chiller theater or something like that um oh wow yeah because you know channel five channel nine and channel 11 had yes like on saturdays there was like horror film stuff going on in those three channels in the the tri-state area and uh i saw it at a very young age um, on, on television. And the, the comedy part at that time did not, was lost on me a little bit, you know? Mm. But that I can, I will ne- the endings, the ending of the film is what was one of those, it's one of those, those scenes that's just creeps me out to this day. And, uh, yeah. and, and, you know, and rewatching it all this time later, it's still, I think, still very powerful, actually. You know, watching it for the first time, I got, like, in a good way, Scooby-Doo vibes from the beginning of this movie, Mike. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I could see that, definitely. Like, Scooby-Doo horror vibes, because it's 1972, it was probably filmed in 71 or 72, and they are dressed like it's 1971, 72. It is like, you know, obscenely 70s style. As I'm watching it, I'm almost like watching going... I'm so envious that a man could dress like that <laughs> and get absolutely no guff. This is just what young people looked like. Isn't that like mind blowing, Mike? Yeah, like every, every, everyone's real groovy, you know, in that yes, in the movie for sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just modern dress of its day. And I, I mean, to me, more so than the 60s or even more so than the 80s, the 70s was just like whoa you know (laughs) like like it's kind of not surprising how some people regard it as some of the ugliest uh, outfits uh, of the day but to me i'm just watching it almost with a sense of jealousy that a a grown man could wear that clothes and everybody's uh everybody around them is okay and he's not getting mocked and uh he's with attractive women michael so it was almost uh i was envious mike let's be honest I can I could feel that as well, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's get to the cast here. Uh, as we said, directed and written by Bob Clark. Uh, screenplay by Alan Ormsby. Produced by Clark, Gary Goch, and Peter James. But the cast is, once again, Alan Ormsby uh, as Alan. Uh, you're going to sense a theme here, folks. Valerie <laughs> Momchez as Val. Jeff Gillen as Jeff, Anya Ormsby as Anya, Paul Cronin as Paul, and we have Jane Daly as Terry, Roy Engelman as Roy, Robert Phillip as Emerson, uh, Alec Baird as a caretaker, and Seth Sklarkey as Orville Dunworth, uh, who basically has a, a tremendous part of this movie, Orville, that's, you know, we'll, we'll get to it. Um, Evil Dead vibes, Mike Hill, in the sense that uh, apparently, um, much like Evil Dead, this movie was also loaded with college friends and friends of the director and producer, which is pretty cool, huh? Yes, and there's also some plot elements to this that are similar to Evil Dead as well. Oh, totally. I mean, 
while I don't know that Raimi was a fan of this movie, I, I have a funny feeling he might have been a fan of this movie or saw this movie. This movie is literally 10 years exactly prior to Evil Dead, and there there are some similarities, uh, you know, in the behind-the-scenes sense that I just mentioned, and, and a little bit in the plot, right? Yeah. Yeah, so there's a group of... Uh... I, I couldn't really quite ascertain. I think they were actors. This group of friends. Yeah, they're a theater yeah. troupe. They're, they're a theater, theater troupe. troupe. They're stage actors, yes. They take a boat to an island where it's uh, it's known that uh, you know criminal types were buried there. Okay, and... Off the coast of Miami. Because yeah. I believe it is off... I believe it was also shot uh, uh, off the coast of Miami. Down in Florida, so, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And the... Um, it, you know, this is the interesting part because most of the, the friends think it's kind of like they're they're having a piss with this whole thing, like they're having fun. But I, Alan, yeah. I think Alan from the get go had nefarious uh, ideas about this whole thing. Yes, and okay. Aside from the, there's definitely Evil Dead vibe. Uh, talking about putting the movie in its time and place, you know, it's shot in the the, the post Manson era, listeners. And you get the feeling, I think, maybe 20, 25 minutes into the movie, that perhaps maybe Bob Clark and Alan Ormsby were somewhat influenced by that whole kind of vibe. Because, uh, you know, Alan, who's kind of the ringleader, theater troupe head, has, I guess, mini Manson vibes or Manson light vibes, right, Mike? Manson light, because he wasn't trying Manson to like, yeah. uh, you know, his idea wasn't to go and murder, murder the, uh, no, the elite, no, no. you know, but it was about raising the dead and witchcraft, basically the occult. Yeah. And he's a ringleader and he kind of talks down to everybody and he's got the pretty women around him. And yeah, there's definitely some post post Manson esque things going on. And of note, uh, the girl Anya in, in the cast is played by his then wife, Anya Ormsby, hence having the same last name. <laughs> yeah, and um, but this part is the we're we're, we're in the comedy part of this film, part, yeah, the comedy definitely. segment of the film. However, it's dark though. Still, like even the humor is dark. You know, and, it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's it's not like funny, funny like when you watch um like Shaun of the Dead. You know, mm-hmm. there's like a wink and like a uh, very there's an irony that they use but in this one the the comedy is there's a dark undertone to everything that's going on because essentially what they're doing is they're exhuming a body which is uh orville dunwich dunworth i almost said orville yeah. Dun- dunwich but yeah yeah orville um, dunworth. and they're you know dressing him up and you know, women's clothes and things like that. And, and, uh, not, not they're really clothes, but... desecrating. It's honestly, it's almost shockingly the desecration of a dead body, almost yeah. shockingly to the point where you're, you're laughing because there's a lot of one liners and actually all the women in this movie are humorous. Yeah. Um, they say the most humorous lines I almost feel like, um, not so much actually his wife, uh, Anya, she is the one who's the who's very kind of like intense and kind of scenery chewing. Yeah. Uh, but the other girls, uh, Val and uh, Jane Daly as Terry, they they they're really kind of taking the piss a bit on Alan, and they're not really taking him all that seriously. And you know, there's some definitely witty things happening. But Mike is right. It's it's still quite dark. There's very kind of creepy music going on a lot. Yeah, score And of is course, good, if actually, it's yeah. 1972, listeners, it's got the 70s creep vibe. It does, right? Absolutely, man. And Anya is like kind of like the squeaky from of the group, you know? Yeah, right, right, right. Um, you know, but you you like these people. I like I kind of like the whole the whole crew, you know, which I thought was cool. Um, and to me. Again, the sign of, of a director barely into his career. Uh, it's the it's the third movie he's ever made, by the way. Yeah, he, he did make two movies prior to this movie, uh, and they are The Emperor's New Clothes, which was a short, and a movie called She Man from 1967. So, you know, this is about a crossdresser. So Bob Clark is Jesus Christ, what a pioneer! Uh, I mean, I mean, a 67 movie about a crossdresser, number one. And he's he's delving into horror by 1972. 
uh, with Alan Ormsby, who again in the cast, one of the stars of the movie, um, and he's kind of like putting out a horror comedy in a time when let's just say none of the horror movies were comedic, Mike. At this point, right? No, I mean if you think about it, just a few years before this, we had Night of the Living Dead, you know, zombie, another zombie film, which was like dead serious. Like there really was yeah. very little any humor in that movie. You know? No, I mean, and the end of this movie goes into that is is it's got to be completely Romero inspired. The ending, and you know, we'll get to that. But literally, the first hour and change of this movie is almost kind of hijinks, Mike. Right? Yeah, but one of the things that in the second time I, was, I watched this when I was a kid, and I watched it just you know like during the week or whatever. And the thing that I was thinking about, the vibe I got was. You know, or um yeah alan alan's character is he's he half expects something to happen when he goes out there you get this sense that okay you know we're at we're this acting troupe we're gonna go out onto this island this creepy island we're gonna go into this house we're gonna do the dig up this body you know desecrate mm. it we're gonna you know do some rituals do some witchcraft you know but he's probably read you know his like uh occult background on everything and is like okay right. this is like what should happen all right do i really think it's going to happen probably not but in the back of his mind no. i think that mm -hmm. he is like i hope i want something to happen even though he thinks something might not happen and that's the vibe i got from alan but the everyone else is just there along for a good time you know and as you're watching it the the, the initial attempt to quote raise the dead does not happen nothing happens and they're kind of defeated. It is only when they do it, uh, you know, like it, like later on, things start happening because it seems like, yeah, as even as the you know as a viewer, you're like, well, where's this movie going to go? The, the dead have not been raised. They're just kind of like joking around the cabin, like really doing fucked up things to a dead body, you know, the Orville dead body, which I have to say. For 1972 super indie film, uh, pretty damn good makeup, no? I was just going to say the zombies look great, and also just the set dressing looks awesome too, man. Like they got like this super, yeah. this really great atmosphere. Um, it reminds me of that uh, that uh, Mighty Sphincter video, <laughs> um, uh, uh, Ghost Walk. I don't know if you ever saw that video. Um, no, no. Yeah, there's that band Mighty Sphincter from Arizona, and they're, they're like this you know, goth rock band, like, goth punk band that they have a video called ghost walk and it mm -hmm. reminds the, the imagery in this movie reminds me of this video it's like you know smoke machines graves you know that kind of mm. stuff you know ghost walk is also the name of a great brian keen book yeah. Mm. Yeah. interesting yeah. um but yeah again since nothing happens alan starts kind of abusing all, all the you know all, all of his pals in, in the cabin but as luck would have it the dead do start coming back to life and start killing some of the pals and some of the friends who are, you know, outside. And uh, it kind of kills. It doesn't kill the main characters first. It kills some of the more ancillary characters first. Right, Mike? Right. Except Orville is not reanimated. No. He, he's still yes. quite dead. Quite dead. He, he is. He's still in the in the cabin with everybody and they're fucking around with him. And I will say, yeah, God say pretty disturbing things doing to a dead body by a bunch of you know college kids you know what i'm saying it's just kind of like a weird weird vibe you know kind of again darkness you know for a comedy uh so all this chaos is ensuing outside as the zombies are coming to life and i yeah it looks really good um it's definitely inspired i think and informed by night of the living dead but since this is not in black and white and it's four years later and you know the '70s are creepier than the '60s. It has just this this really eerie vibe to it when the dead are coming out of the graves with the music and you know this primitive kind of like you know hellscape vibe. That, that's what I thought. Yeah, very effective. You know, and and also I have to say the zombies also had a bit of an Italian look about them too. Oh shit! I knew we were gonna go there. Yeah. Which movie also reminds me of Zombie. Yeah. And it's years and years before Zombie. Like, it's about nine years before Zombie was probably filmed. And I don't know if Fulci 
saw this movie? Who the fuck knows? Again, I don't know how how many people saw this movie at all uh, initially, you know, uh, because there is no video market even like the video market begins 10 years after this movie has been released. So I would say it's it's probably coincidental, the the, the Fulci-esque vibe. What do you think? Do you think it's coincidental yeah, or no? I mean, there's there's very, very unlikely this film made it to Europe, you know, in the, in the 70s. You know, and that's the, that's the tripped out thing when you think about these types of films. You know, even Raw Meat, the movie we covered a couple of weeks ago. It's like, when that came out, the only way you could see it is in a theater or at a drive-in, you know? Or, there's or, even at the at the end there's something that which we'll get to that made me think of of Fulci zombie the very end of the movie oh um, yeah i know what you're talking about but yeah yeah either you saw it at a theater or a drive-in or it was on television you know like some you know, edited you might version have saw it. yeah hmm. but you i mean you know it, it would be with commercials and on tv like how i saw it when i was a kid you know right 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 and and maybe edit, um, most most likely edited you know True, true. Just goes to show you how how really uh, ahead of the curve this movie was. So as I was saying, uh, the zombies coming back to life. They attack the cabin, and our our heroes, our our Scooby Doo crew, are quite shocked that the zombies literally are are back to life because I think they thought it was you know kind of a bust, huh? Yeah, and and they honestly the 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 group really didn't think anything was going to happen you know that's my feeling is that they were like ah yeah we're going to go out here and smoke weed and hang out and probably get laid you know and play around with this dead guy you know and and like that's that's the extent of it you know it's just like some crazy thing to do when you're a kid you know and and you know rage you know but oh my god the friggin death dead are rising you know um there is one more uh effort to return the zombies to the grave and uh, at one point, that appears to work as the zombies, you know, walk away from the cabin and go into the forest. But apparently, what they were supposed to do at the end of this last-ditch effort was return Orville to his, his grave, too, so that the zombies would not come back. And, of course, they don't do that. They're still fucking around with this dead body. And all of the zombies come back and attack the cabin once again and start killing off our friends uh, one by one until uh, the only two survivors at this point are Alan and Anya. Um, something to note of, of Anya that, that has happened amidst all this is that she she really kind of starts believing in like the, the, the darkness and the dark magic of, of the island and all the things that they have done, huh? Yeah, yeah. She's on board with what's going on because she's seeing it unfold in front of her, you know? And she, I think she starts seeing visions, and I remember she spent some time inside the coffin. Like, she took it all really, really seriously and kind of continued to take it seriously, even when the zombies initially didn't come back to life and everybody thought Alan was, you know, full of shit and whatnot. But she was kind of a true believer throughout it all. And, again, uh, Alan and Anya are a real-life couple at this point, and... You know, uh, there's a this really fucked up scene where the zombies are coming after them, and they're they're on the stairwell. They're trying to get upstairs, and Alan pushes her into the zombies and just Dude. offers her as a fucking offering, like fuck this bitch, kind of fucking throw down the stairs, and they start ripping her apart. It was just like, oh man, that's fucked up. You know, it must have been a rough scene to to do uh, in real life, huh? Probably, yeah. I mean, it's a physical kind of thing, you know. Now, this leads us to the most powerful part of the film, if you ask me. Yeah. All right, and this is the one that haunted me haunted me my entire life from the age of 9 or 10 or whenever I saw this movie. <laughs> you know, so, uh, so Alan goes into the room where Orville is stationed on the bed, you know, and... Yeah, he thinks he's in a room by himself and the door is locked and he has some kind of relief from the zombie attack. Yeah, he boards himself up, they're on the outside, he thinks he's safe, but lo and behold... Who rises hmm. from the grave or from the the bed? From the bed, yeah, is, my bed. is uh is Orville. Orville, and it's done in such an awesome way, man. It's like slow motion. There's like a fuck. First, you see this like shadow cast over Alan, you know, and mm. then and then it's curtains for Alan. Yeah, and the zombies break through the door, and it's got this fucked up music, and Alan's screaming, and. The, 
you know, again, any all there's no more comedy left in this movie in the last 15, 20 minutes of this movie. Um, there's no more, you know, ha-has left. And the movie gets pitch dark. And the movie just ends where, like, Alan's on the floor and the zombies are piling on top of him with Orville. And it's got that, that 70s crawl, you know, <laughs> like the... You know the, the 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 credits crawl, right, Mike? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and then there's the uh, the the Fulci part <laughs> comes at the end. Yeah, right after that, the camera cuts to a bunch of the zombies slowly ascending onto the dock where the boat was, getting onto the dock, and the boat leaving the dock with about ten to twelve zombies on it, and it immediately brought to mind how all the zombies made their way into Manhattan. Uh, and we see them on the Brooklyn Bridge yeah. at the end of uh, Fulci's Zombie. And like I said, listeners, this comes out in 72. Zombie doesn't come out in America until, I believe, 80. Maybe even people really see it in, like, 81. And it's just kind of, like, amazing how, again, I, I, I got to talk it up to chalk it up to coincidental, you know? Uh, same for the Evil Dead, maybe not. There's a chance Raimi saw this movie and was a fan of this movie. I'd have to do a little more research there. Um, listeners, if you know uh, either or the, the zombie potential connection or potential Evil Dead influence, please let us know. Um, but to me, it made this movie even more great. Oh, yeah, dude, totally. And now the one the one thing. That I that was never really established in the film is okay. We have these zombies going into the into Miami, right? It was never established if the bite of a zombie would spread the zo- zombie hood to the other the person who got bitten. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no talk. There's no talk of zombie spread. There's no talk of will you turn into a zombie, which brings to mind the term ghoul in this movie. Yes. Um, they're zombies because they've come out of the dead and they're reanimated and they're looking to eat you. Okay. But they're killing all these people. They're not making new ones. And that to me is like, I don't know, like the the word ghoul kept popping into my head in this movie. Uh, but I still do think this is a zombie movie though. Um, like, you know, if you ask me if it belongs among the zombie canon, I think it does. What about you? 100%. I mean, there's different types of zombie movies. You know, there's there's going all the way back to the voodoo zombie. Then there's like the, the you know, the, the Walker style zombie, which may or may not have like a biological component to it. There's like supernatural zombies, which I would say these are more of like a supernatural zombie, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's it's... <sighs> It's a movie that's really ahead of its time, you know? Um, again, I could see probably early 70s audiences maybe not being so blown away by this initially, but this becoming a movie that I think down the line people saw and were like, wow, this, you know, Bob Clark was really onto a couple of ideas here, way ahead of the curve and made a really interesting fucking indie horror movie for like 50 grand with his buddies that is being talked about, you know, 50 years later. And I think in 50 more years, people still talk about this movie, Mike. I agree. Uh, and also just people in that time frame, like they, you know, these types of movies were like kind of looked down on by people. Like just like if you in, were into this kind of stuff, you're like some kind of degenerate or something, you know? Mm. You know, like the, um, the whole like drive-in vibe was like kind of like a lowbrow thing, you know. So apparently, it was released as a special edition DVD in 2007 from VCI. That's the one we carried at the store, okay? Uh, and it was the first time it was uncut. Had a really weird, wonky cover, though. I remember, like a lot of those covers from the O's were kind of shitty. Yeah. Um, Apparently, uh, it was also a, a briefly made VHS through Anchor Bay Entertainment. Uh, finally, jumped to 2016 on February 23rd, 2016. VCI released the film on Blu-ray, which is, I believe you could still get that one today. And it is uncut. But yeah, like I said at the start of the show, there was a planned remake of this movie uh, before Bob Clark's death. And even after his death, it was apparently at some kind of stage, but it never came to pass. Now, I'm going to say something. As much as I love this movie, and I did, 
completely ripe for a remake. What do you think? It would have been even better if Bob Clark did the remake, but I could see I that. Know. You know, yeah. but, but then again, a very special filmmaker would have to do this film. You know, mm, yeah. Um, I almost think you, you. I mean, there wouldn't even be a lot you'd have to change. Like, I almost feel like I, you, I could almost picture a modern version of this movie in in a way with with a very similar script and idea with this very fucked up bleak ending. You know. Yeah, I, I just the thing that concerns me is the treatment of uh, comedy in um mm, you know mm. in in the film. You know what I mean? Like how would they how would that play in modern the modern world? You know what I mean with, with like the kind of stuff. <laughs> and, that and they, be, yeah, and the the dead body desecration, which again is something that you you really need to watch <laughs> to to get where I'm really you know getting at here it is, it is kind of fucked up like i feel like some some modern audiences might not be down with with that aspect you know but i but think that. yeah but i i'm down i think that would have been that's crucial to the film though really the desecration you know you know who would yeah. be, would play a great um alan is mm. uh owen campbell do you know who that is ah, you, you remember okay. him the guy the guy from yes. uh from my heart can't beat unless you tell it to yeah, 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 yeah. That would be interesting. That that guy is a. I think he's a cool actor, man. He was in a movie I saw a few months ago called Candyland, and um, mm. he was really good in that too. You know what? It's cool that this movie has been untouched and stands on its own. You know, and it. You know, it's a Bob Clark movie. Uh, as we know, they've remade Black Christmas several times to uh, mixed results. Uh, there's no clamor to remake Porky's, but who, hey, who knows at this point? (laughs) Somebody could remake Porky's and restart the teen sex comedy that has been dormant for a little while. Um, You know, there's the abominable Christmas story sequel from last Christmas season that I saw, which was horrible, horrible movie. Uh, It was uh, on HBO Max. Um, Listeners, if you saw that one, I'm sure you would agree how bad it was. Um... But yeah, Bob Clark is definitely like to me a, a legendary, prolific, uh, diverse director who should be remembered. Yeah, I mean, I love his horror too. I mean, and that's the thing—he's kind of successful in all these different genres that he works in, you know. But I mean, for me personally, oh, yeah. I, love, you know, I love the horror films. Yeah, you know? it is hilarious. He's the baby genius guy. Like, who, like where? How does that even happen? Like, it's just wow. Like, you know. Like, you made one of the best horror films of all time. It's, like, wild. What's really interesting, too, is to look at just the time frame of from 1968 of, of Night of the Living Dead, this film in 72, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Evil Dead, and Zombie. You know, just, like, yeah. you can kind of connect all those films as being the, uh, the kind of, you know, grandfathers of the genre really this is kind of it kind of started there if you think about all the elements of zombie movies really came from here and i'm going to name this as as a film that's important in in that canon of movies for sure it is i'm just wondering like who got to see this movie like i I, it's i almost feel like at one point it was almost like a lost movie you know um but i feel like the fact that it did make its way, you know, in the DVD boom onto DVD and it's now it's on Blu-ray, uh, you know, it's out there if you want to see it. Um, wonder what could have been had the remake happened, Mike, you know, like what, like, like the, the even more kind of eyes on this film at that point in time. We might never know, man. You know, we'll never know, man. Some asshole drunk driver killed Bob Clark and his son. So we'll 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 never know, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Um, what do you give? Children shouldn't play with dead things on our Necromaniac score of one to five. I'm going to give it a four point five out of mm. five because um, two two reasons. Number one, I feel like this is like very important within the zombie genre, and. It goes all the way. It gives me those feels from back when I was a kid, man. You know, just like mm. the, the terror of watching this movie. Even the comedy, like I said, at that the age that I saw it, the comedy didn't come off as funny. It just came off as disturbing, like when I was a kid. You know, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I gave it the same score. Um, I I love this movie. 
uh, I think it's great. I think everyone listening should see it if you haven't seen it. Um, you know, it, it, it clicks a lot of the boxes for me. Uh, I, I am a sucker for creepy 70s movies. Uh, when it's a creepy 70s movie I've never seen, it makes it even even better. <laughs> you know? Yeah, man. Uh, I was almost surprised at how much I liked this movie. Um, yeah, a very nice 4.5. Uh, fucking Bob Clark rules. I mean, I, I, you know, there's yet to be a movie that I've seen of his that I have not enjoyed. And I think I'm, I'm going to make it my, my business to, to see all the shit that of his that I haven't seen yet. So, uh, he even did some stuff on, uh, on TV in the eighties. He did an episode of amazing stories. Remember amazing oh, yeah, stories? I remember, I remember that. I didn't realize he had, I didn't realize he did anything with that though. Uh, he wrote an episode of Dukes of Hazard. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he got around. Well, hell yeah, man. That's uh, definitely mm-hmm. check this out, and um, you know, stay in touch with us. Let us know what you think of everything. Uh, check us out on all the uh, social media: Instagram, um, Facebook. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, give us a five star review if you dug this, and uh, we'll see you next. Please next do. Time. Yes, and there'll be more Bob Clark in the future on uh, Necromaniacs Podcast. We will uh, see you next time, listeners. Take care. Shadow fell like